Welcome to What's Working in Washington. I'm Jonathan Aberman. Today, why are some boards failing to keep their top people in line? People should want different perspectives. They should want the perspectives of their shareholders, their consumers, um, you know, their suppliers. If you don't have that, how can you de facto say that, in fact, you're truly analyzing some of the very difficult problems that our boards face today? Well-functioning business requires oversight. That should come from a board of directors that tells the CEO what the CEO should be doing, not just let the CEO tell the board what he wants to do. To discuss that issue, I'm joined by Denise Keene. She's former general counsel of Altria and is now on the board of direct women. First of all, Denise, thanks for joining me. Thank you so much for having me, Jonathan. Well, this whole issue of yes-men boards, there are some real challenges with that. Let's talk about that. Okay, well, I think that there are basically two trends that we see going on in corporate governance today. And one of them is the fact that given the environment that we've seen, I truly believe that the line of what a corporate board of directors is responsible for and what is the province of management is evolving. And I think that is what we see in terms of an ongoing expectation that boards get more involved and not just be spoon-fed what they're told by management. I mean, they have a whole host of responsibilities, and so many of them do it so well. But I think the scrutiny that people are going to be under in general is, are they acting proactively enough to discharge their fiduciary responsibility and represent the shareholders? I will tell you sadly admit that over my lifetime as a businessman, I've been on some boards where the CEO, basically, it, it's like a, a boys club and it's everybody yucks it up and there's no real oversight. But what those boards tend to have in common is there are boys clubs. Isn't there a real issue here with respect to diversity and getting different viewpoints in a boardroom? Well, I mean, you're touching upon a topic that is very close to my heart and that I feel very passionate about. I truly believe that we're in an area where the lack of diversity on a board really is, in fact, a corporate governance risk. I think long gone are the days where companies can basically say, oh, I really can't find diverse candidates. I think in today's environment, diversity becomes a starting point for what is good corporate governance. And I think those companies that unfortunately get into trouble are going to have a particularly difficult time in explaining why their board doesn't have the diversity that should really help break down the group think that you're talking about. What I find sadly amusing is that most directors don't really focus on that they are the primary conduit through which disgruntled community members or disgruntled shareholders are going to exercise their legal rights. The board gets sued for not providing good oversight. So... How can it be that boards would sooner choose a bunch of a monoculture rather than a culture of people that challenge if ultimately they're the ones individually that face personal financial liability if a company like a Volkswagen or an MCI WorldCom or others turns out to be a fraud or worse? I, I think I'd answer that in a couple of different um, buckets. One, I think it is important for boards today and boards take on a huge responsibility to really go back and focus on what their core responsibilities are. I mean, it involves not just hiring a CEO and compensating a CEO and senior management. It deals with, you know, long-term plans. It deals with dealing with risk 
of which some of the topics we're talking about now truly become risks. It deals with compliance, but it also deals with creating the right tone for managing true stewardship. And I think breaking groupthink is an aspect of what true stewardship should entail. People should want different perspectives. They should want the perspectives of their shareholders, their consumers, um, you know, their suppliers. If you don't have that, how can you de facto say that, in fact, you're truly analyzing some of the very difficult problems that our boards face today? I hear two issues there. The first one is, frankly, it's a a political sociological issue, which is how can you have an organization that claims to be responsive to community without having representation? And the second sure. one I hear is that if I have a bunch of inbred, self-regulated uh, conversation, I don't have people asking hard questions, I may run a personal financial risk if I'm a director that tolerates that. How and why do having women in boardrooms change those two calculations? Well, I think in a couple of different ways. Um, I think, number one, you're bringing in a different perspective. You're bringing in people who will evaluate the facts and hopefully engage in the type of conversations that we think are so important. We have seen studies. We have seen empiric evidence that shows diverse boards perform better. We show that they, in fact, have greater conversation, that they can be more proactive. And especially for companies that are having true challenges, I think they're a critical part of laying a foundation for plotting a path forward because long-term guidance is one of the core responsibilities of a board of directors. I'm sitting here, I'm, I'm listening to this, I'm a CEO, I'm on a board nomination committee, and I say, all right, that's fine, but I can't find any qualified female candidates. I got to do a training program to find them. What do you say to that? <laughs> of course, you're baiting me with that one. I'm sorry, I have to with radio. <laughs> okay. Um, in, in reality, the answer of, you know, I can't find them is no longer acceptable. There are so many, many qualified women out there, women who have tremendous experience. And in fact, there are even organizations like Direct Women that can help you find women who would be truly qualified to be on boards. I think the other excuse that I see happening is, oh, I have to hire a CEO. Well, we all know the dismal numbers of how many women are CEOs. The answer is not I need a CEO. The answer is what is the thoughtful analysis of what are the skill sets that I need? What is my conscious plan and what is my deliberate action to identify women who can fill those slots? My experience, what makes somebody a very good director is domain expertise, exceptional judgment and the ability to communicate, right? Absolutely. Last thing before I let you go, Denise, it appears to me that we're at a crossover moment where this discussion about diversity is going to become a liability issue for boards. What do you think? I think that we're almost there now. You look at who is out there talking about diversity, and I think 2018 is going to be an interesting proxy session because you have retirement funds, you have, you know, CalPERS, you have CalSTRS, you have, you know, uh, state controller Thomas DiNapoli in New York. I mean, they represent billions of dollars of investment. You have BlackRock, you have State Street, you have Vanguard, uh, you have shareholder proposals. So I think the momentum is really building. And so now is not the time to say, I'm not going to deal with it now. I'll put it off for a few years. Now is the time to say, how do I get ahead of it? How do I bring diversity? How do I have the alignment that I need with these important shareholders and do something that's right for the organization at the same time? That's great. Politics of money come together and change that's occurs. It. Denise Keene, former general counsel of Atria and on the board, direct women. 
Denise, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to What's Working in Washington, and a thank you to our sponsor, Montgomery County Economic Development Corporation. Their business development team can help you find the best talent, an ideal location, and the latest in market and business intelligence so you can do business successfully in the greater Washington region and Montgomery County. Your business success starts with MCEDC. Connect with them at thinkmoco.com. Support for this podcast comes from University of Maryland Smith School of Business where students learn to harness data to meet tomorrow's challenges. More information about the Smith School MBA program is available at rhsmith.umd.edu. Our executive producer is Tracy Madigan. Our online writer is Barbara Ulrich. Music provided by two D.C. region bands, Two Car Living Room and The Sunbathers. And let us know who you think we should be talking to on this show Tweet us at at What's Working DC. I'm Jonathan Aberman. Thanks for listening. <laughs>